Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Ro, host of The Queen Pod. We are on a mission to offer you a companion piece to the entire Queen back catalogue, track by track. And Queen are letting us play all their music. To find out about how to support us and access some Bijou exclusives, pop along to patreon.com forward slash Queen Pod. So, without further ado, let's see where the wind blows. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. I'm just a fool, I need no Cause I'm easy come, easy go, little high. Welcome to Queen Pod. Yes, we're here. Play Queen Loud. We are looking at Queen Greatest Hits 1. And it's a playlist the band curated for us. So you should totally add it to your playlist. Why wouldn't you? Uh, but before we get into it all, I am your host, Ro. And I'm here with comedian Suze Kempner. Hi. Queen documentarian Simon Lupton. Hello. Comedian and podcaster, John Robbins. Hello there. Hello. And I introduced myself at the beginning of that sentence, didn't I? So we're good. (laughs) (laughs) So this album, this wonderful album, uh, uh, Greatest Hits, kicks off with uh, a song by one Freddie Mercury, five minutes, 55 seconds long, isn't it? For it is Bohemian Mm. Rhapsody from A Night at the Opera, the single originally released on October the 31st, 1975. What do you think, guys? Opening greatest hits with Bohemian Rhapsody? Where do we stand on that? Well, Superb. Set the Superb. benchmark high, why don't you? Mm. <laughs> John? I want, I, well, I wonder if there was a discussion because the next track is Another One Bites the Dust and those are their two biggest singles. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I wonder whether they thought, let's just grab them by the Jaffas and not let them go. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. And I bet they used those words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the early 80s. But, um, the, the, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Running Order plays a huge, huge part in this. And you know, I, do you know what I'm mindful of is that they unexpectedly opened their Live Aid set with Bohemian Rhapsody. You expect them mm. to open with a big stomper. And of course, mm. <laughs> it's just a huge kit. But it does work as the opening to an album and as, as an opening to a set. It's incredible that it does do that. You yeah. sort of think of it as a bit of a, 
a finale song more than I think. Well, I think that's the the confidence you get from having so many good songs because any other band would put their big hit front and centre and just sort of hope people bought the album off the strength of that. And by the time you get to sort of five or six, you're thinking, oh, yeah, I sort of remember that one. Um, but they've got so much they can afford to put their biggest hit right at the front without feeling people are going to lose interest throughout the rest of the album. Imagine being someone who's not really come across Queen before and someone goes, this is the best-selling album of all time in this country. Here it is. And they go, ooh, and they put it on and the first song they hear is Bohemian Rhapsody. That would be a mind-blower, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did have the the rare honour of being able to play a grown adult Bohemian Rhapsody for the first time in their lives. Um, really? Wow. Yeah, Where did I you was, find this grown adult? <laughs> I was getting Fantastic. a cab to Gatwick at four in the morning and the driver, this was about five years ago, the driver said he would have been in his 30s. Okay. And the driver said, oh, is there any specific music you want? And And I said, oh, Queen. And he said, oh, uh, I've never heard of Queen. And I was like, what? what? You're insane. <laughs> I was like, you can't, you must have heard of Bohemian Rhapsody. And he said, what? And I said, put Bohemian Rhapsody on Spotify on your, because he had like, the, <laughs> he could run it all through. And I said, yeah. you've heard this, right? He's like, no, I've never heard this before. Oh and I think God. he was Eastern European, which made it mm-hmm. even more insane. Yeah. Because yeah. Queen was so big over there. And so he listened to Bohemian Rhapsody for the first time in his life with me sat there. After it finished, I said, so what What does you think of that? He said it sounded like classical music, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> wow. Wow, because that's amazing. It is, that's it an is, extraordinary it, story. It does feel like a genre in itself. Mm. Like you've yeah. got rock, pop, jazz, folk, rap, mm-hmm. R&B and Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say to uh, you new listeners uh, that are joining us for this um, this pod, uh, you can go to season two, episode two, where we look at the second side, side B of uh, Night of the Opera, and we talk in some detail on Bohemian Rhapsody there as well. Um, so we warmly encourage you to do that. But... What I can tell you is that Bohemian Rhapsody topped the UK singles charts for nine weeks. Nine weeks! Its final week at number one, before it was replaced by Mamma Mia by those pesky abbas. Tell them the fun fact. Yeah, we'll do the fun fact. Yeah! It's that Bohemian Rhapsody is the only song to be replaced at number one by a song that has a lyric from that song in the title of the other <gasps> song. That's a fun fact. Why is that not immediately in my head? Well done, all three of you. You all get <laughs> house points. Fact. That's so good. Simon, have you got mm. some uh, nice old history to share with us on uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and its placement on this album? In the quickest possible time, I'd just like to say that I think there is one thing that's more impressive than Bohemian Rhapsody itself, and that is the context in which they recorded and, re- and released it. Um, because at the time, the band were massively in debt, um, their management contract up until that point meant they didn't earn very much from their first three albums. They were on a salary rather than a royalty. They'd bought themselves out of that deal at great expense. And for an album to succeed in those days, you needed to go on tour. That's how it would work. You'd release the album and then you'd go on tour to promote it. 
and that was massively expensive. There were no big sponsorship deals in those days. A Night at the Opera had turned out to be the most expensive album to date when they'd recorded it, which would need to be paid for out of its subsequent sales. So if this album had failed, the question is, would the record company have stumped up for another album? And even if they did, or were contractually obliged to, would the band have had enough money generated to clear their previous touring debts? And if they couldn't, then the lighting stage and sound suppliers would be unlikely to hire them gear for their next tour, meaning you wouldn't be able to promote your next album. So it would become a vicious circle. And almost certainly that would have meant the end of Queen. So against that mm. backdrop and those stakes, um, and with the need to have a great single release to get the fans excited for the new album and tour, Queen decided to release Bohemian Rhapsody despite everyone <laughs> telling them it wouldn't get radio play, so probably would sink without trace. Um, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is how Queen roll. Wow. We've got a new producer with us for this um, mini-series, by the way. We've got producer Emily Wiley now, Fergus March, Giles Henderson. Producer Giles hasn't gone far, but she is here now. Hello, Emily. You have to unmute now and say and use your voice and your words. Hello. Hey. <laughs> so that's Wiley, everyone. But Wiley there just played a beautiful bit at the top. And that bit is so that bit for me was always kind of um that little a cappella bit, it's that quiet moment where you're almost giving yourself a pep talk before you first have to go and do one of these terrible confrontations that you periodically have to do in your life, you know? You, right, I've just, I've just got to get through it. <laughs> it's going to be bad, but on the other side of it, I'm still a cut. You know what I mean? Does that resonate for you guys? Is that a thing that makes sense to you? I think it's I... a song about identity and whether yeah. that's sort of sexual identity or your religion or your race or mm-hmm. where you fit in society or who you think you are. And I think that's perhaps why it remains quite mysterious is because that question is very mysterious and it's not necessarily something you consciously think of you don't sit down and think right who am i mm. it's mm. something um we all question at various points throughout our lives which is why i think bohemian rhapsody is a song that spans generations it's not just a teenage song though it certainly has messages for teenagers it's not just a song for older people though it absolutely has messages for people in older age and so by being so unspecific, it, it has resonances with everyone who listens to it. Mm. I think that's right. It is. You're right. It's mysterious, but completely resonant. It's an extraordinary song. Absolutely extraordinary. Let's get along to uh, a guitar, guitar solo that I think's recently been acknowledged as one of the greatest in all rock history. Shall we, shall we listen to that, Wiley, please? <laughs> Talk to me about this beautiful guitar solo. Well, I, I think the the song shows such enormous range of of Brian's guitar sound from the the head banging section, you know, that everyone knows from Wayne's World, yeah, through that solo right up to those incredibly sort of fragile, quite tender notes at the end, with those sort of very slight bends. And mm. when that taxi driver said it sounds like classical music, I think a big part of that is 
how Brian is able to sound like a part of an orchestra. It's like he sort of yes. steps out from a sort of 60-piece orchestra as an instrument and then sort of recedes back again and allows other instruments to take over. Mm. It's quite hard to get your head around all the, all of the <laughs> yeah. orchestration in Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, we're already running short time. This is ridiculous. Mm. Um, but I, what I'd love to do, Sue, is just talk to you about the um, the the opera section really i'm going to use the a cappella version okay uh, the yeah, deluxe yeah. version of um uh, night at the opera uh, which is cool will you do the fandango thunderbolt and lightning very very frightening me galileo 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 figaro i'm just a poor boy nobody loves me he's just a poor boy from a poor family sparing his life from this monstrosity easy come easy go will you let me go bismillah no we will not let you go let him go bismillah we will not let you go let him go bismillah we will not let you go let me go will not let you go let me go never let you go Mamma mia, mamma mia. Mamma mia, let me go. Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me. For me. For me. Blimey, how do you do uh, an opera choir in the middle of a rock song, Suze? Just like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's so brilliant that their three voices, Brian, Roger and Freddie, their three voices are completely different. They all cover different bits of the scale. They've all got different colours, yet they always blended together so well. And at this point, they've been working together for five years, uh, four or five years, and you can hear that they know. It's not just that they've gone right, we're going to take the risk and do this song now. They know what each other does so well that they've gone, I think I know where each voice can fit in this massively multi-tracked operatic section of uh, a rock song. So he knew that right on the top, they didn't need to bring in a session singer soprano. They just put Roger singing that top line on everything, which gives it a whole different sound because if this was... Pink Floyd, they'd have brought in session singers and it would sound epic. But because it's Queen, because it was just these three voices, it has the incredible distinct sound you get with Queen because it was such a distinct way of harmonising and the sounds of their voices together were so distinct. That's beautiful, amazing. Simon, Mm. what have you got to say? Because normally you're guaranteed to blow our minds, aren't you? Guaranteed to blow your mind. (laughs) <laughs> I do like to blow your minds every now and again if I possibly yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm 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 not going to say anything. I'm going to leave it in the hands of um, someone else. Uh, this is something that um, I, I've sneakily lifted out of a, a, an excellent documentary um, that, that you has made. has a bit of of John Deacon chatting about how the song was constructed, but um, more specifically, there's some wonderful um, clips from the band in the studio. Do too slow. No, that's nice, that's nice. I tell you, it's, that is slower on there. It was a very strange song to record in a way because we actually did it in sections. I like that first bit. I like that first bit. So I'll come in from here now. Carry on. And we, I remember doing one recording session in Rockfield. Oh, I missed it. 
when he was saying, right, these are the notes, and it goes dum, 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 and it seems to have no connection with anything. One. But he had all the ideas of what he wanted to go on top. <laughs> Did you hear that? Pum jump. It's too much. There was three of us, and we all came in a beat later. <laughs> no, you didn't shout one or anything. You I know, I shouted one and came in myself late. <laughs> it's so <laughs> hot in here, I'm not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. what I wouldn't give to be those sessions of Fly on the Wall. Oh, they sound like they're having so much fun. That was amazing. No, Brilliant. And so uh, one of the things that's occurred to us is that there are people listening to this that may only have the Queen Greatest Hits albums. And, and if you then find yourself at a Queen gig or whatever, but you want to pass yourself off as a legit Queen fan, I've got a like, little blaggers tip for you, what you can say to sound like you're a deep cut Queen fan. So my one for, um, for Bohemian Rhapsody is this, which is um, Bohemian Rhapsody is obviously a masterpiece, but personally, Prophet Song just edges it for me. You could just say that. That's a good opinion. That's a good opinion. Yeah? And everyone will just believe. You don't need to know what it means, but if you They'll parrot that, everyone will believe that you are a deep cut Queen They'll fan. They'll go, oh my God, do you listen to Queen Pod? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. No, no, that's immediately backfired. You've totally put a major flaw in my brand new feature point, which is very upsetting. Um, so listen, another one bites the dust is coming up. Good choice. Yeah. Yes. Great yes. choice. Another Great choice. huge track. So my question is this. When it comes to the end of the ending of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Do you guys hear God Save the Queen kicking up in your heads from Night of the Opera? Or are you guys hearing Bites the Dust kick in at this point? I'm hearing Bites the Dust. Yeah. Are you, John? Yeah. Exciting. Where are you, Sue? No, I'm. I'm. I'm hearing. I'm hearing. God save the Queen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I am. I'm God save the Queen as well. I, th- I think probably Night of the Opera is probably one of the few albums you listen to just as much as you used to mm. listen to Greatest Hits. That's interesting. Uh, so weirdly, what I hear I've discovered is funny how love is. Because oh, the ending right? of Human Rhapsody <laughs> is almost the same as the ending of March of the Black Queen. Now there's obviously oh, some wow. sort of brain glitch that's happened in my head. <laughs> Whatever, I'm hearing the end of Beam Rhapsody, but I think I'm uh, finishing March of the Black Queen on the Queen 2 album. So on that bombshell, <laughs> what an early chat about Beam Rhapsody we've all had. Um, uh, we are coming back next time to talk about... Uh, the wonderful Another One Bites the Dust. In the meantime, uh, you can email us, queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com, comment at the Queen Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, go along to patreon.com, queenpod, to see how to support us. And whatever happens, play Queen loud. Bye-bye, everyone! Bye! Let's go! This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production, edited by Sam Easton and produced by Emily Wiley. Come follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and stay in touch by emailing us at queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Another one bites the dust And another one